0: A quick note before we get started. Did you know we have an email list? Go to hpleadershippodcast.com and enter your email into the form at the bottom left to sign up. Get our PDF on common obstacles and teamwork sent right to your inbox. Subscribers get first listens on new shows and exclusive content. Sign up today, hpleadershippodcast.com. On episode 41 of the High Performance Leadership Podcast, Execution
1: the world is littered with brilliant people with great ideas that are passionate that can't execute.
0: You're listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast, insights and information from world class leadership experts. Thanks for joining us. I'm Randy Lane. Today we're playing a talk Chip gave at a recent charity champions event. Charity Champions is a program that gives nonprofits free advertising to help with their exposure and free leadership training to help them run more efficiently. 360 Solutions, the company that sponsors this podcast, provides the leadership training. During this session, Chip talks about the crucial missing element in most businesses execution. And now, here's Chip.
1: There are some common denominators of wildly successful leaders and we've studied them over the years and we know what some of those characteristics are and i'll share some of the most common denominators of the most successful leaders out there and then we're going to tie and contrast that to ways you see yourself as a leader the number one characteristic of the most credible leaders out there is they have a driving passion to realize a a vision or a mission that they've set. They clearly articulate, this is the vision, this is the mission, this is what we're trying to accomplish, and then they have the ability to articulate that vision and that mission so clearly that they get followers, they get people around that vision to follow them. And then from following that vision, they are very good at building trust, communicating, and executing on that vision. Now in the nonprofit world, all of you in this room, your organizations are trying to fix a problem. Whatever that problem is, that's the mission, the vision, the purpose of your organization is to end or improve or fix something. Would you agree? And so in your world even more than for-profits, that vision, that mission, To articulate that is more critical than ever to be an effective leader. And why today is that more critical than ever before? Competition. Competition is definitely part of it. Voices. Noise. I call it noise. There is so much noise out there today competing with you. If you think you're the only one with a cause, you're wrong. Lots of people have a mission. Lots of people have vision. Lots of people have these things. They all have stuff that they want attention around. And so there's lots of noise. The average human being has less of an attention span than a goldfish and it's happening and it's getting worse and worse and worse because we are bombarded with noise. We don't know what to trust and not trust. And because of that, we tend to not decide because there's too many options. Has any of you heard of the phenomenon called FOBO or FOMO? Heard those two terms? Some of you have, some of you have, and I'll explain it. It is a phenomenon. The internet is a great thing. It has changed our lives for the better in so many ways, but we have not studied the effects, the negative effects, of what the internet is doing to us. I will give you one example of how it is negatively affecting our lives. FOMO stands for the fear of missing out. So here's what happens. Our children and even you as adults, we tend to look at social media as a way to grade our life. Most people put on social media when they're on vacation, when their kids do something wonderful, when they get promoted, whatever is wonderful about their life, that's what they put on there. And so we are grading ourselves against what everybody else is promoting as their normal life. Well, we know it's not normal. We know what they use it for, and we tend to do it ourselves. but it has raised our level of what we think is normal. Gluttony seems to be normal because we normalize it. The fear of missing out in kids is worse than others, and that is when you see your friends doing something that you did not get invited to and there is a fear of missing out. Or if I invite you to do something in two weeks and you say, yes, that used to be common. Now it's, you know what, let me check my schedule and get back to you. Let me I'll let you know. Subconsciously, what we're doing is, I want to do that with you, but there's a possibility something better will come up between now and then, and I don't want to be locked in that far in advance. There is a fear of missing out. The average human being that looks at social media, looks at it 6.5 times per day. It's almost an addiction. Now why do they check social media so much? Is because when you check social media it releases an endorphin similar to doing drugs or anything else. It's a release. When you get a like or a retweet or any of those things it also releases an endorphin. Why do so many people take selfies There is gratification that goes with a selfie, and that is your friends give you feedback. Why do your friends give you feedback? Oh, you look so pretty. Oh, that's so cute. Oh, that is wonderful. I know women, and I'm not picking on women because guys do it too, but I know women that on average will take at least one a week, and it's the exact same picture. The exact same picture over and over and over again. Women, duck lips are out. That was so three or four years ago. Stop with the duck lips. It's not working anymore. The same picture over and over again. I don't, don't do it. But why do they do it? Why? Because a positive reinforcement that comes with it. Now the fear of missing out is all of their friends, if you don't like or comment on her selfie, what happens when it's your turn to put up your selfie? Do we tend to use it as a way to show each other that, hey, we're paying attention to each other? I'll like you if you like me. Is it similar to when we were children? It's just in a different format? Now, what's phobo? The fear of a better option. Now, let me tie this back to dating and why dating is so drastically different now than it used to be. When we were younger, you would meet people at church or at work or different places and you'd meet someone that was compatible, you liked them and you would invest time in that person to get to know them because you did not have a lot of options. Your center of influence, your friends, your circles, the people you're around, especially 20, 30, 40 years ago, a lot of people were married and so you had a small group of options to choose from so you chose from those options. The internet was Spawned, and now we have all of these different apps and match.com and Tinder and all this different stuff that's out there. So we have turned relationships into almost a nope, 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 possible, nope, maybe, nope, nope. And if I don't find somebody I like today, that's okay. There's a whole new batch tomorrow. And I can window shop all I want from the comfort of my couch and I don't have to work at, this whole relationship thing and get out and find people because I can shop online. What's happened, even though there's some positive with that because we can expand our network, it's also slowed down our decision-making process because there's a fear that there's always a better option. We do it with people that get jobs. They put a resume out, they get a job, but they don't take their resume down. Why? There might be a better job there may be a better option there's always something that might be better than what i have so i'm not going to close down my mind to a better option now see we believe that keep an open mind there might be better options there might be something out there that i should consider unfortunately that also has a negative consequence in the way we take what we're currently doing and committing to it some of you say that's not who i am as an individual but i do see it in others would you agree some of us say we put human beings into different buckets We say all millennials millennials are lazy they won't they don't stay with companies long enough they all want trophies for doing mediocre work you know we have this opinion and we're trying to label them and we can go with baby boomers and all the way through here's what i have learned by studying human behavior for as long as I have, and that is your grandparents said the same things about you. You're lazy, you don't have the work ethic, you don't care as much. Generation after generation after generation, we have done and said the same things over and over and over again. We just see it differently through the paradigm in which we're looking through. The people, the youth that are entering the workforce today are not any lazier than we might have been. There's still a bell curve they're not any more entitled than we were. We, we believe that because the media tells us that, but there's still lots of people that are hardworking, that, are, that care, that are dedicated, that are committed. And they will produce what we expect of them and what we know they can do. Does any of this make sense? So here's my question when we talk about personal leadership. Today, if you look at the stats of for-profits and non-profits that go out of business, what do you think the average life cycle is? How long a a startup nonprofit goes into business, how long do you think a typical nonprofit lasts? Within the first year, when someone applies for a 501c3, within the first year, 45% go out of business, 45%. Second year, another 30%. Within five years, there's typically less than 5% left that started five years prior. Why? No mission statement? Possibly. When nonprofits are started, do you think that people are passionate about what they're doing and that's why they start it? Okay. They might even be really good at putting a mission statement together. My job is to end world hunger. That's what I'm passionate about, ending world hunger. That's what I want to do, so on and so forth. So they they understand their mission, they're passionate about it, and they get people to follow them. But the third component is they have to do what? Execute. Who said execute? Execute execution by far is the most critical component of personal leadership you can talk all you want to you can be passionate all you want to you can have a driving vision you can be very good at building trust you can put great action plans together you may know the transformation model those seven steps inside and out. you may know everything that there is to know about world hunger you're passionate about it and you have a great team of followers but the world is littered with brilliant people with great ideas that are passionate that can't execute they just can't execute why fear of failure they don't have buy-in they don't know the small steps execution is definitely the hard part execution is absolutely the hardest part i think we talked about this last time Every January 1st, how many of you are absolutely fired up, you have a vision, you know what you want to do for that New Year's resolution, and boy, you set out to do it. And how many of you six weeks in have not executed on that vision? You've rallied support, you have a vision, you put a plan together, you went out and bought all the supplies to be able to do whatever it is you're going to do. You've spent the money, you've spent the time, you've got the plan, you've got people around you that are willing to support you, all of it, but now it's time to execute, why is there a gap? You lose your drive, why do you lose your drive? It's hard. So we have a driving vision of what we want, as long as it's easy, we're going to get there. We don't see results fast enough, resiliency, grit, accountability, or the lack thereof. How many of you in your organizations feel like you could do a better job of executing? Oh, good. Nobody has a problem with that. Good. Wonderful. That's, I don't even know why we're here today. Let's just group hug and call it a day. Do we want to execute more effectively? Absolutely. Why don't we execute? Number one, I'll ask you this. If I go back to your office right now, or if your whole team's here, If I was to ask anybody in your organization, can you tell me, the leader of your organization, what is their clear vision and and their mission for this organization? What is it that they think about daily? How many of them would say, that's easy. I know exactly what the vision is. I know exactly what the driving mission is. And I not only know what it is, I know exactly what I need to do on a daily basis to provide execution to that vision. Now, I'm not asking you to tell me that answer because my guess is you don't even know the answer yet. You'd have to try it. But if you're lacking in some execution areas, I would encourage you to step one to start with that. Get very clear about your mission, not only just as an organization. I'm not saying you it's not on your website somewhere and you don't have it in a handbook somewhere and you didn't talk about it recently. I'm talking about a clear mission of what we do every day and why. Number two, strong personal leaders are very good at communicating that vision and the steps that we need to take to execute. They're very clear at articulating that to their team. The third thing that they do is they are very good at building trust. The people that follow them, trust them. There's three components to trust, and there's competency, compassion, and integrity. These are the three components that make up trust. Are they competent in what they do? Are they compassionate? Can they put themselves in the shoes of other people? And number three, do they have a high level of integrity? Will they do what they say they're going to do consistently? And those three components make up trust, and in a later session, I'm going to go deep into that, so I'm not going to talk about a lot now, but I will explain here in a second the difference of, of why that makes such a significant difference. How often do we clarify our message? How often as leaders do we check for understanding? Do we slow down and make sure we all have a common language and we clarify what we're doing and why? We talk about this the first time, but it's rampant. Leadership and self-deception. We see ourselves differently than other people see us. Our intent is invisible to everyone unless we articulate that intent. So if I walk up here and I stand here, Nikki has no idea what my intent is right now. Makes her nervous, possibly. She doesn't know if I'm gonna ask her to volunteer, what I'm gonna do, anything. She has no idea what my intent is. When I articulate my intent, then she understands, then she doesn't act as nervous, she's fine and she can do her job. But if she doesn't know the intent, That's all she can think about. How many of you have great intentions for your organization? Are there people that misunderstand your intent sometimes? And when people misunderstand our intent, does it erode trust? Does it limit our ability to communicate effectively? Does it erode teamwork? I say this in every organization, but it's true. How many people wake up in the morning with the intention of going in and having a bad day? How many people wake up and say, I'm going to go into work today and screw up so bad that my boss and all my employees can't trust me anymore? Matter of fact, my intent is to do it on a consistent basis because I'm a consistent person. (laughs) I'm going to consistently get annoyed at work. I'm going to consistently annoy other people. I'm going to consistently screw up my job. I'm going to consistently get frustrated with other people. How many have that intent? Of course they don't. But how many of us does it happen to us? Or at least we believe it happens to us. It's our intent that is invisible. And the only way for people to understand our, in- our intent is to clearly articulate our intent and check for understanding. Do they understand our intent? Are we on the same page in the intent? And if my intent is misled or in the wrong place, I need to have a level of trust with the other person that they can tell me I understand that's your intent but your actions show something different and that's why this is happening. Intent is worthless without the action to prove the intent and that's where trust erodes. I have intended for years to lose weight and get in shape but when I tell people my intention and they don't trust me it isn't because of intent it's because of my action. A lot of you have the highest intent to do something different next year than you did the year before. But your actions aren't any different this year than they were last year. And then you get frustrated why your team doesn't trust you. Well, it's because your intent is worthless if you don't execute, if you don't put it into place. Let me ask this. With your group, I want you to talk amongst the group and here's the one question I want you to answer to each other. What is the first example that you can think of that you exemplified leadership qualities? The first time you can think of it that you really stepped up and were perceived or acted as if a leader.
0: Thanks for listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. Every little bit helps. Our website is hpleadershippodcast.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hpleadershippodcast. Follow us on Twitter at HPL underscore podcast. And shoot us an email at podcast at 360solutions.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.